Well, thank you for that prayer, Josh. And uh, I just want to say thank you on, on behalf of the whole pastoral staff because we feel the love. We feel the love. We love all of you. And we're going to be talking about faith today. We're in this series called Now Faith. Now Faith. And, you know, it reminds me, uh, do you remember the commercials, the albums? Now that's what I call music. Insert obscure number that none of us know how they track it. 112 or whatever. And so that's what it makes me think of. Now that's what I call faith. And really, that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. It's this hall of fame of faith where instead of the greatest hits, we, we think of the greatest events throughout the history of our faith, the people who acted in greatest faith. And so we're going to be exploring that today, but it really brings to my mind when we talk about these great acts that these people have been able to do that we want to do something significant with our lives. We want to do something of weight. We want to do something that matters more than being able to say, I ate 2,000 gallons of ice cream within my lifetime, or I have the most efficient dishwasher method, or I have the best lawn lines in the neighborhood. We want to do something that matters. We have bucket lists. We have uh, just the goal to give away a million dollars. We want to scale Mount Everest. We want to write the book. We want to memorize all of the words in Lord of the Rings backwards. We want to do the things that matter, right? And there's nothing different in our faith. In our spiritual lives, we, we want to be people of great faith. Maybe we don't all want all the accolades. We don't want all the fame necessarily. But we want to be someone that God would use in a mighty way. And so today we're going to be exploring what it means to move from everyday faith, mundane, tedious, everyday, ordinary faith, to great faith, the powerhouse of faith. I'm going to give you the secret sauce to move from everyday faith to great faith. So today we're going to be talking about Noah and Moses. Noah and Moses. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be starting in verse 7 today with the old ark builder, Noah. So again, Hebrews 11, chapter 7. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And so if you want to read all of Noah's story, you'll have to go back to the book of Genesis. But I want to give you the overview. Because God sees this righteous man in the midst of this world that's just filled with sin. God wants to start over. He literally wants to wash the world clean of sin and start over with one man's family, Noah's. And so he says to Noah, I want you to build an ark. And it's estimated that this would have taken him anywhere from 55 to 75 years. This is not like a weekend Home Depot weekend warrior project, 
okay? This, this is years of work, a commitment for something that he didn't know exactly necessarily the day that was coming. He just had to be ready. He didn't know how long it was going to take him, all of this stuff, right? But he did it. He built the ark, and he was ready for when the flood came. And honestly, this story gets kind of cliche because it's one of the most famous Bible stories, okay? I don't think anyone's going to deny that in this room, but let's try to modernize it a little bit, okay? God asks you in 2023 to be a doomsday prepper, to build a bunker so huge in your backyard that you can fit all of your family and all of the animals needed to repopulate the earth and as much freeze-dried food and corn nuts as you want, okay? All the stuff you'd need. And you don't know what's going to happen. It's going to take you years to build this thing. You're going to sacrifice social capital because you're going to always be, nope, sorry, I can't go out tonight. I got to go work on my bunker. He's working on the bunker again. You know, and I mean, the text doesn't say that people laugh at him, laughed at him. We assume that. I mean, you would look at this guy and like, why is, he, why is he building this humongous boat? It doesn't seem to make sense. Do you have enough faith if God came to you and he asked you to build something for a doomsday that was coming, that you would do it? If it took you years, would you be ready for the day that he had called you to be ready for? So you got... Noah, but now we also have Moses. So we'll, we'll come back to Noah, but let's go to Moses. So Moses is in verse 23 of chapter 11. So jumping from 7 to 23, going through verse 28. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was a by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great Reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Now Moses is a rags to riches, back to rags, story. Because he starts out in this Hebrew family. He's going to be killed, but his parents manage to hide him. He floats down the river, happens to end up next to Pharaoh's daughter. She wants to save him despite the fact that he's a Hebrew and he grows up in that house. He's grown up in the best family in the land, has everything that he would ever need, but he knows he's not one of them. And so he gives that up to be one of God's chosen people. And from there, God asks him in a burning bush, saying, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, would you let my bros go, please? In the name of the Lord. 
After some wrestling, he, he says yes, finally. And then Moses goes for this interchange with Pharaoh that la- it goes something like this. Hey, Pharaoh, God says let the people go. No, plague. Ten times that. Wouldn't you have given up after the third times the charm thing didn't happen? Think about that. So he has enough faith to keep showing up that even though Pharaoh's heart is so hard that he doesn't seem like he's ever going to let the people go, but he does eventually. He has enough faith to, when the Egyptians are chasing them, to believe that the Lord's going to deliver them through the Red Sea. He has enough faith that after God brings them out of Egypt and they're wandering in the desert for years to wake up and lead the whiny Hebrews each and every day. Time after time, even when it seemed like, God, when are you going to finally come through? Moses had great faith. Noah had great faith. George Michael had a different kind of faith. We're not getting into that today. Okay? We're talking about great faith today. Moses had it. Noah had it. So what is the secret sauce? What is the secret? How do we, like Noah and Moses, have great faith? Because maybe, just maybe, maybe they just could believe harder than the rest of us. Maybe they just had a spiritual gift for faith that they just believed extra hard that God could do what he said. So maybe we just need to believe harder. Believe bigger. Except all of these things in the Hall of Fame of faith, all the things that Noah and Moses are remembered for are related to action. So it's not just about belief. It, it might be a little bit, but it has to be a little bit about action because it's for the things that God did through them showing up for the actions that made them great. Actions and belief. We know that legit faith leads to action. But it seems like this great faith led to great action. So maybe instead of just believing harder, not only do we have to believe harder, but we got to get out there and do some crazy stuff, okay? Who wants to go out to Salimony and try to walk on it with me? Who wants to try to see if we can get the Missinawa River to stop? Maybe we can move a mountain. I mean, there's no mountains here. I mean, maybe we can move a cornfield <laughs> by our faith. Do you have faith big enough? Except... I mean, when we look at these stories, like, if we were to go do something like that, what meaning would it have other than for us going, cool? It meant something in Moses' story. It meant something in Noah's story. Only Noah lived in Noah's time and Noah's place as Noah. Only Moses lived in Moses' time and Moses' place as Moses. And so the great acts of faith were for those times and those places. You are not Moses. You are not Noah. 
God is not calling you to lead the people out of Egypt. He's already done that. He's not asking you to make a doomsday boat. He's already done that. And he said he's not going to flood the world again. He's not calling you to be Noah. He's not calling you to be Moses. He's calling you to be you. So legit faith leads to action, but also in God's story for you and you alone. He wants you to have great faith. It's not about doing things that are identical to things in this chapter. I mean, look throughout the chapter. They all have done different things because they did different things, different acts of faith, great acts of faith in their stories. They made themselves available to God for what God wanted to do. And so it's not my story. It's your story. My story is my story. Don's story is Don's story. Jason's story is Jason's story. Your story is your story. And God's story for you, he wants you to have great faith. So, okay, legit faith leads to action. It's about doing something. It might have to do a little bit with how hard we believe, but at the same time, we're not going to be able to do identical things as Noah or Moses. So what is the key for moving from everyday faith in my story, mundane, ordinary, tedious faith that just makes me wake up and read my Bible and pray and go to church and do boring Christian stuff, to great faith in my story? What is the key? Well, Noah and Moses are great, but let's look at Jesus. Because Jesus performed the greatest act of faith in his death and his resurrection. Amen? And the thing that's unique about Jesus, right, is that he's God. And so when he does stuff as a human, I pay attention. Because it's like, if he's God, he doesn't necessarily need to do everything that I do. But he does a lot of stuff to set an example, okay? So a lot of people will say to themselves, okay, well, why didn't Jesus live like a long life? I wonder to myself, why couldn't Jesus have lived a shorter life? If all that mattered was being the spotless lamb of God without sin, why couldn't he have just been born and then sacrificed then? As morbid as that is, it's an honest question, okay? And so then the other thing is, is, okay, maybe the in-between time matters, but, okay, he's born, and then we have the tale of him going to the temple and his parents forgetting about him, and then between there and 30 years old, we got nothing. So what's the point of him living for 30 years in obscurity without doing public miracles that we would know of, drawing attention to himself, living a normal, impoverished, Jewish life where he, wait, he's without sin, so we know he kept the Sabbath. He kept the Jewish laws. He lived an ordinary, everyday faith of a Jew until his ministry when he had great faith. That seems like it matters for some reason. 
that the time beforehand matters. That the everyday faithfulness matters in a way that we wouldn't immediately recognize. It's not about jumping from boring everyday faith to great faith. It's about having everyday faith. Because if it was good enough for Jesus to do it, it's good enough for you to do it. And so when we get to his ministry, like it's not just about like the things we assume that happened before his ministry, but too, he's, he's a person that goes off and he's always like escaping from the disciples to go pray. Of course, they're always trying to find him. It's like, come on, guys. Anyway, um, but this seems like it's something that's not just a practice that he had for ministry. I would guess he'd already had that practice in his life. Even when he wasn't in need of it, where he wasn't performing this big ministry, I imagine he often went alone to be with his father. And here's another thing, okay? He's God himself. Why does he have to go away to be with God? To show us that it matters. To be alone with the father. To have simple, everyday acts of faith the mundane, the ordinary, the tedious, the everyday. And so once we look through the eyes of Jesus and he teaches us that the everyday acts of faith lay the foundation for great acts of faith, it's not shifting, but it's building a foundation for the great acts of faith to happen. We look back on Noah and Moses' stories in a different way. Because Noah, even before God picked him to build the ark, he was already found as a righteous man, which would say to me, he was already a practicing follower of the Lord, right? It wasn't just about what he was thinking. It was about what he was doing. And even more so when he's building the ark, okay, think about this, 55 to 75 years, that's between 20,000 to 27,000 days, that you would have to choose to wake up and work on that dumb ark again. Oh, God, got to put one more piece of wood up there. Like, it's crazy to work for years and years on something, not knowing when God's going to come through, to be ready for one day, building the foundation for a great act of faith to happen. And then when you look at Moses' ministry, in between, he's got all kinds of great things happening in his ministry, right? Miraculous things. But in between there, he had to choose to wake up every day. He had to choose to go to the tent of meeting to see the Lord. He had to choose, once again, to pick up the mantle of leadership for the annoying, whiny Hebrews. Every single day. And the dude doesn't even get to go into the promised land. Okay? I mean, to be fair, he got to do a lot of other cool stuff. But regardless, it's because the everyday acts of faithfulness matter. But really, I don't know if we've quite figured out why they're so important yet. So I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a rich billionaire named Frank. Okay? Frank made his fortune in the real estate market. And he had enough money to spend it on whatever he wanted. But in particular, he bought two vacation homes, one on the coast of Lake Michigan and the other in Tucson, Arizona. He also 
hired two full-time hosts to live there year-round and to take care of the house. Now, this was mostly because he was completely impulsive, super type B, and you would not know he was going to one of the vacation homes until the day of. And so you can see the pros and cons of being a full-time host at one of these houses. One, I mean, potentially you could live for a year in a billionaire's vacation home and never have to work and get paid for it. Yeah. The con is you never know when your boss is going to come. You're always tied down. You always got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. So I want to tell you about the approach between the two different hosts, okay? And for the most part, to preface, like, their instructions, their expectations were similar, slightly adjusted for the fact that, I mean, the houses were different, and you got to do different stuff to a house in Tucson than you got to do on Lake Michigan, okay? But regardless, I want to tell you about Lawrence first. Man, Lawrence, he was over the top. He was just absolutely obsessed, okay? This guy woke up every morning drank his cup of coffee, read over the instructions again that his boss, Frank, had left, even though by now he had had them memorized, made Frank's favorite orange cranberry muffins. And then from there, he would go and wash the linens again, even if no one was going to lay in them that night because he wanted to make sure that they were at the freshest they could be. He would then light all the cinnamon candles in the house his boss's favorite scent, to be sure that that smell would permeate the house. And then he would watch the news to see what his boss was doing so that he could write him a relevant note of encouragement to put on his pillow. That wasn't on the list. That was just icing on the cake. Now, obviously, Lawrence worked really hard. But can you imagine all of the cinnamon candles that went to waste? All of the linens that were washed for no reason, all of the orange cranberry muffins that he had to feed to the ducks. All of the times he read the directions for no reason to do all that stuff for his boss not to show up. That's Lawrence, over the top, wasteful. Then we have Dexter. Now, my brother Dexter, man, he was efficient. He knew the best way to go about it. He was frugal. All that stuff. Okay, so Dexter had the same approach as Lawrence, but he only did that for a month. He only for a month every day woke up and prepared everything that needed prepared because his goal was by the end of that month to get down to getting everything prepared in two hours or less because he knew that was the minimum amount of time he would have between his boss calling him and his boss arriving at the house. So he got that down pat, and then after that, he would only check in on himself every six months to make sure he was fast to get everything done. So, who was the better host? Which host do you think that Frank liked more? Because it's Dexter, right? I mean, he saved him money. The dude's a billionaire. Obviously, he's money-minded, right? It's like, you want to get the most bang for your buck. So, Dexter's the guy, right? except he always enjoyed going to Lawrence's house more because Lawrence was always expecting him, even if he never showed up. Lawrence made those cranberry muffins every day, so his cam orange cranberry muffins were the best. The sheets 
always smelled the best. He always appreciated the note of encouragement. He didn't care that Dexter spent more money. He had money coming out of his armpits. Who cares how much money you spent on cinnamon candles and linens and all this stuff? And that's why one day, Frank thought to himself, why, why do I have you at my vacation home? I want you to host my main house. And you know, Dexter's luck caught up to him because, uh, I mean, he, you know, was doing his efficient thing and somehow he missed his boss's call one day and of course his boss comes in on his private jet and Dexter's out there sunbathing in the pool. <laughs> right? And you see the everyday acts of faithfulness matter. And God wants to do great acts of faithfulness through the people who are always expecting him to do something great. Always expecting him to show up. It's not as though God can't do great acts of faith for people who don't have everyday faithfulness, but I mean, I would think you're going to find a lot more people with everyday faithfulness performing great acts of faith because they're always available when God wants to do something. They're always available when God needs them. They're always available because they have everyday acts of faithfulness that prepare them for great acts of faithfulness. Everyday acts of faith prepare us for great acts of faith. But you know, where are my Jelly Roll fans in the room? Okay, let's get real. Okay. He's got that song, I Need a Favor, right? And so for those of you who don't, know the song? I mean, I'm going to quote some lyrics for you, but I mean, a lot of us, I think, live this faith that's like this. I only talk to God when I need a favor. I know amazing grace, but I ain't been living those words. Hardcover King James only been saving dust on the nightstand. Now, it's not about racking up some list to say, look at me, God. Look, look how many chapters I've read. Look how many times I've prayed to you. Look how many times, yada, yada, yada. It's about living a life where every day you are expectant that God is going to show up. That your Bible is open. That you go to prayer to be with the Lord, even if nothing crazy is going to happen that day. Even if you never hear him say anything to you. Because you want to be available if he does. Some of us want to have great faith, but we don't even have everyday faith. We don't even have everyday faith. And so what is it? What is the practice of everyday faithfulness? The practice, the behavior that God has been calling you to that you just have said no to. That the Holy Spirit's been prompting you it's like, hey, why don't we pray more regularly? Why don't you open my word more regularly? Why don't you show up to church more regularly? To make yourself available to me. To shape your life around my agenda instead of your agenda. What is the everyday act of faithfulness that he's been calling you to to prepare you for great faith 
in your story when he needs you. And so here I'm going to give you some advice, three steps, three steps to be able to walk through, to move, to building everyday faithfulness in your lives. So number one is start small. Start small. Okay, this is going to seem crazy, but everyone seems to want to come out of the gates like, okay, I haven't been praying now. I got to go pray for an hour. It's like I have a bad habit with exercise. I just like think, okay, I got to get back into shape. I'm going to run what I used to three years ago. No, no, not going to happen. Used to be able to do it because you were doing it all the time. So literally start small. Don't pray an hour. Pray for five minutes. It was longer than you were praying before. We'll work on increasing it. Don't read the whole Bible in a month. It's not going to happen. Read a chapter today. Read a proverb today. It's more than you were doing, and you're still making yourself available to the Lord. Start small. Make it so small that you have absolutely no excuse not to do it. Secondly, be kind to yourself. You're going to mess up is what it is. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But don't let the devil get in your head. When you mess up, he's going to tell you, well, look, see, told you couldn't do it. You're just not a person that can do that sort of thing. You stink. No. Shake it off. Pick it up again. Because the everyday disciple just picks it up again even if they miss it. It's their regular practice. So what if they miss a day? Keep going. Keep going. Be kind to yourself. And finally, ask God for help. Ask God for help. The only hope that you have of being more transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ is by the power of God anyway. So ask him for his help to do this little act of faithfulness that he's been calling you to, this little practice that he's been nudging you to do. So again, you're going to start small. You're going to be kind to yourself. And you're going to ask for God's help. So we're going to move into a time of reflection here just briefly, because we do have communion still today. But I want you to take out your communication card. I mean, if you don't want to do this, it's fine. But if you feel something moving with you, I encourage you to do that. What if you would write down the everyday act of faithfulness that God has been calling you to in the comments or on the next step so that we could call you, we could pray with you, we could encourage you, and honestly, just writing it down and knowing that other people are going to see it's going to push you to want to do it more. What is the everyday act of faithfulness that God has been calling you to put in your life? Take a moment in the silence to listen to the Spirit.